Hola, hola, everyone. It's Ayana. Welcome back to another episode of Seso y Corazón. I am here with a new friend uh, who was introduced to us by an old friend. Um, Y'all might remember Dr. Monica Band, who has been on the show multiple times at this point. And now we have Kimmy. Kimmy, can you please introduce yourself? Yes, of course. Hi, everybody. My name is Kimmy Wu, and I am actually... I'm currently a clinical mental health counselor, graduate student at Northwestern University. I'm a therapist in training here in Washington, D.C. Um, that's my connection to Dr. Monica Ban. She is my supervisor and currently an active director of the WAVES team at the Asian Mental Health Collective and also a forever recovering perfectionist. Yes, I love that, which we'll talk about. Um, so appreciate you, Kimmy, for for being here. Um, there's a lot of connections, mostly because we are in the same mental health spaces, I think, with, you know, Asian Mental Health Collective, Dr. Ban, who was at the White House with us last year, and just all of the things coming together. And I'm just really, really excited for folks to see some of the other projects that we've been working on. But until then, I want to talk about you and your work. Um <clears throat> in this space. Before we get to your work, I'm going to talk about you and your mental health journey. Can you set the stage for us? Tell us a little bit about your mental health journey and how that's impacted you, you know, up until now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so honestly, my mental health journey started really as a personal endeavor. Um, I remember in undergrad, I, after a series of really stressful and you know, traumatic experiences. I was actually formally diagnosed with anxiety and depression at the time, which kind of was what led me to therapy for the first time ever. And it was such a interesting new experience because I think, you know, as an Asian um, identifying person, um, mental health was not something that my family, I had ever talked about. Um, and even within the community, you know, I didn't remember ever hearing from any of my peers um, who outrightly spoken about their own mental health. And so that was kind of all what jump-started my advocacy work um, for Asian American mental health, you know, mainly as a volunteer for various organization and through my student organization leadership positions um, back in the university days. Um, so I guess fast forward um, to 2020, aka kind of the COVID pandemic as we know it, <laughs> yeah. um, I was, you know, I was still in a position that, you know, professionally handled um, digital marketing and e-commerce for various hotels throughout the country. But, you know, as you may or may not know, the COVID pandemic, you know, had a huge impact negative impact on the hospitality mm -hmm. industry. So I was unfortunately and Fortunately, um, put on furlough at my job at the time. Um, and I say fortunately and unfortunately, because, you know, during my fun employment, um, <laughs> you know, I, at first I was a little nervous. I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, what's going to happen to my job, to our industry. Um, and at some point I kind of just laid back and was like, well, you know, there's nothing I can really do about it. So let me just try to enjoy this time off as yeah. much as I can at least. So, you know, after a few days of, you know, self-care and I've started to make time to read the books that I never got to read when I was so busy working <laughs> um, and really started to think about, you know, okay, re realistically, if this is an industry that I 
can or want to go back to, what's next for me? Um, that's when I started to, you know, I actually considered getting an MBA and like, you know, go um, maybe pivot into another field, but stay in digital marketing. Um, there, there's a lot of more tangent career options that I heavily (laughs) considered, but it wasn't until, you know, at some point, um, I had a very long conversation with a friend on the phone and, you know, they were kind of telling me about their struggle with mental health because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling so honored that they were, candidly and openly telling me about these very, very vulnerable things about themselves and their experience. And, um, and then after that conversation, you know, this very, very heavy conversation, my friend was like, Kimmy, why aren't you a therapist? I feel like you'd be very, very good at this. (laughs) And, you know, I was just like, what me? No, no way. Um, And I really just brushed it off. I thought he was joking. Um, But for some reason, that stuck with me for a few few weeks, actually. I didn't even think about it again, but then it kept coming back. So, you know, I told myself, all right, let me just do my due diligence and at least find out what it takes to be a therapist because I got (laughs) curious. Um, So I did a lot of research and you know, figured out, you know, okay, there's like master's level clinicians and, you know, doctoral level. And there's a lot of different, um, I guess, professions within mental health um, Mm -hmm. that one can take as well. Um, Of course, there was just a lot of info and I didn't know how to make sense of it. And I didn't know what was right for me. Um, So I actually started to cold email local therapists just to see if I could get some informational interviews with them. And through that, you know, I met a few of my current mentors in the field um, who have become very close friends of mine. And, you know, long story short, like it led me to applying to, you know, a few master's program in the country. And I told myself, you know, if I get in, then I'll do it. If not, then we'll, we'll just find something else. It's okay. You know, life is just magical yeah. in that way and it'll lead me to where I'm supposed to go. And lo and behold, um, I was accepted by Northwestern University, which was my top choice out of all the schools that I applied to. And the rest was history. <laughs> yeah. And now you're like, so close to the finish line. <laughs> I am. I am. It's so exciting and so scary at the same time. Um, but honestly, the the biggest feeling I feel like I hold nowadays is just a sense of gratitude for, mm-hmm. you know, for the people that I've come to know and gotten to meet through the program and um, through the work that I've been doing, um, not just, you know, in school and in therapy, but also with my work at AMHC, you know, just surrounded by such amazing and inspiring people and like yourself too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, let, let's stick on AHMC. Wow. I can't even get my acronyms right. But you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. Specifically focusing on, on the Asian community. How, how do you think your culture and your background has impacted your healing? Right. You, you mentioned that you um experience uh depression and anxiety and you know obviously hyper hyper exaggerated by pandemic and all of the life things mm-hmm. how does that play a part in actually seeking help and talking about it um right and having the conversations with with folks around you yeah you know it's interesting because um 
when I think about my own mental health journey and how my culture and background has impacted or even informed um, the whole process, um, I actually didn't realize until like way into therapy that all the stuff that I was going through in undergrad, you know, had to do with my, I don't want to say lack of an identity, but I think lack of, you know, conversation or lack of an understanding of who I was. Um, I, Mm. you know, really grew up. um, So I guess a little bit about my background. I'm a first generation Taiwanese American immigrant, and I'm also a third culture kid. Um, And I think as a woman of color, like these are all big parts of my identity that really intersect um, in very meaningful ways. But also, I didn't know it at a time though. So um, as I began to get to know a little bit about myself um, and to this day, you know, I always say it's a constant um, effort and process um, to gain more and more um, self-awareness. But I, when I first moved to the U.S., I was a teenager. I was about 13 and 14. Um, Mm. And that was just such a disorienting time for me, not only because of first of all, the language barrier that I faced. Um, but also it was such a culture shock to move to a predominantly white town in Florida um, from an Asian country. You know, yeah. I, I all of a sudden was a, this visible minority. I think there was maybe 10 Asian people in my school at the time, wow. um, if, if even that. Um, so I really, really worked so hard to assimilate at the time. I think, um, you know, around that age, that's, that's what, uh, what all of us really cared about wanting to fit in with our peers. And, you know, I, at some point, you know, started to tan with my friends. Um, they were always jealous of how easily I tanned, um, Hmm. telling me, oh yeah, like, you know, you should do this with us, that with us. And, you know, I started like really assimilated into the American culture, um, and my parents really did not understand what I was doing. Mm. Um, it's funny because I was recently having a conversation with a, another friend about this experience. And I didn't realize that to me, all of the things that I did was out of survival, right? It was for me to belong, for me to find ways to, you know, have commonality with these people who looked and did such different things for me, um, such different values even. Um, but to my parents who I really, really wanted to understand me, they saw this as an act of rebellion. Um, I remember, you know, I don't know if my mom remembers this, but I remember her telling me at some point, you know, I don't even recognize you anymore. And really, really hit so deeply. Mm. Um, I think that was really painful for me to hear, actually. Um, But, you know, at this point in life, you know, I've done a lot of healing, a lot of, I guess, just reconciling with, you know, that kind of pain and realizing or even giving myself permission to not feel ashamed for, you know, not being, quote unquote, the daughter my parents raised me to be and, you know, didn't meet certain expectations. Um, and to finally, <clears throat> I guess, wholly accept that this is who I am. I had done things that I had to do in order to find 
the kind of belonging that I wanted at the time and, you know, and, and be okay with all of that. I think that was my, you know, healing now as an adult. I got to sit on that because it is a lot of particularly, you know, background daughter of immigrants. I was also a third culture kid, um, you know, part of my, Mm -hmm. my growing up years. And a lot of that stuff doesn't quite come up as clear until you're like into adulthood and in different spaces because you don't have the language for it when you're, when you're actually in it. Um, and it, and it's particularly interesting when there's like a racial dynamic and just certain different, you know, societal aspects, right. That indicate like what level of society you belong to and all of these other things. And you're trying to navigate this right as a, as a young adult or as a kid, even on, well, my parents want me to do this. My friends want me to do this. I'm getting all these other messages that potentially my identity isn't what it should be and all these other things, right? Like it's so, there's so many confusing elements to it. And I I guess I'm rambling here a little bit, but I'm, I say that to say that a lot of my healing also came with really honing in on, I accept myself as an Afro Latina. I know that I'm beautiful the way that I am. My hair is curly and poofy, right? Like that is okay. My curls are beautiful. I, you know, I had to sit with that. When I when I was grappling with, I don't need to meet everyone else's expectations. I don't need to be the people pleaser or you know living in someone else's um, expectations of me. Yeah, and that really helped in terms of I can I can set boundaries and I can have conversations that I need to and then walk away from it and I can take the time to take care of myself instead of sacrificing my own well being for the sake of right meeting someone else's expectations and i think that's not it's not really spoken about a lot i think we usually have this conversation on like our parents didn't know what mental health was or we didn't talk about it but i don't think we really talk about like the cultural aspects and having to like grapple with our identities and what that means depending on where you are and what language you speak and what your background is and how you got there um and all of that stuff you know impacting just us finding our way um is, is I guess what I'm trying to say. I think it's just so, it's so complicated. And I feel like I discover this like new thing every episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I hard. Mean, it really is hard and it's very, very complex. And, you know, something that I have become very, very focused on, you know, earlier I mentioned I'm a recovering perfectionist. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of my perfectionism, I didn't know this before, but I realized a lot of it was informed by all these expectations that we're talking about, right? Expectations from our peers, from, you know, our parents, from society as at large, um, and all these things that, you know, or these, I guess, subliminal messages that surround us that tells us, you know, you have to be this way, right? Mm -hmm. But I think realizing that a lot of those things are, you know, socially constructed, first of all, and, that it's impossible for us to meet every single expectations out there. Um, Actually, not just acknowledging, but also accepting that, you know, no matter what, I am a flawed, flawed human being. Um, And being okay with that, you know, has been the biggest part of my healing. Of course, it's it's very hard because on a daily basis, I still catch myself, right? Oh my gosh, like that was a perfectionistic thought. Like, 
be kind to yourself. Yeah. Don't talk to yourself that way. You know, these are thoughts that actually ruminate in my mind. And um, I guess a part of my healing now isn't to, I guess, eradicate that perfectionism. I don't know that I can. Um, I really hope someday I can just wake up miraculously and it, it's just gone. But <laughs> fortunately, I think it is very much conditioned into me to have these tendencies. But, you know, really gaining the insight and the awareness of it has been so helpful for me to, you know, build a toolkit around, you know, not allowing the perfectionism to take over in my daily life. Um, that that's been, you know, the biggest part of my healing journey right now. Yeah. Did you have some of those thoughts when you were thinking about transitioning in, into therapy work? Like, how has that, how has that been? Number one, turning your advocacy into action and actually wanting to to be in this space, but also some of those expectations, right? I don't know about you, but my parents definitely expected me to be under very specific categories in my <laughs> profession, uh, which I turned out not to be. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So honestly, the pivot was, first of all, a really, I would say hard decision to make. And I think the perfectionism definitely did play a part in that. Um, you know, I'll go as far as saying, I think, I don't think any career transitions are easy, but, you know, mine was actually so extreme, like such a huge pivot. Um, I think where my perfectionism took place in this decision was I felt like if I didn't continue what I was doing, you know, would I have been wasting what I have done in the past, you know, all the time mm. and experience that, you know, I have put into my previous career, um, which, you know, I, I know it's a little irrational to think that way because everything that I've put into, I really enjoyed and loved at the time. And this isn't, you know, giving up what I had in the past, but really it's finding a new way to take all the skills that I had gained from my previous career and bring it into my current work. Um, and, you know, I, I actually know that a lot of my colleagues right now in grad school are career changers as well. And, you know, we all come from very, very different perspectives and backgrounds. And I think that's what makes this field so interesting and so diverse, um, especially hearing from people who have been maybe in finance, maybe in the military, like in all these different previous careers, bring in very, very different perspectives and has been very informative in my work um, as an inspiring therapist. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit with, with grad school and just, I guess, the educational piece to becoming a therapist, right? Like how is that how has it impacted number one, your own healing, right? I'm sure you've learned things and you're like, whoa, <laughs> wish I would have known that. Um, but also just in general, like there, we, we know there's just a significant lack of underrepresented um, practitioners and clinicians in this space. Like, is there anything that really stands out to you in terms of like, wow, we could do better in this particular area or our communities really deserve more support in this thing or, or what have you, or maybe the education piece should be updated. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I will say Northwestern's counseling program has been the most rigorous and challenging educational experience I've ever gone. <laughs> um, not just academically, but personally, because, you know, 
the the whole part of the you know personal reflection in this i guess program has been extremely powerful because it really did help me understand parts of myself that i really had a hard time understanding in the past or maybe perhaps i didn't have the language to be able to explain those certain parts of my identity um and you know i always jokingly say that you know i and basically paying for very, very, very expensive therapy. <laughs> <this> graduate program. <laughs> and it better work. <laughs> yes, yes. And it really has, you know, in so many ways that I, I, I learned about myself. I learned about the way that I, I interact with other people. It's, you know, just been extremely helpful um, to be able to learn how to I guess, have these kinds of conversation with other people, not from a therapeutic standpoint, but personally, I think my relationship with family and with friends have deepened um, because of, I guess, the communication skills that I guess you learn as a therapist or as an aspiring one, at least. Um, And, you know, I I definitely wouldn't trade this for anything else. I, I really love it. And to your question about you know, the representation piece within the field, you know, I actually, a part of another reason that I decided that I really, you know, wanted to go into this field was because I had a hard time finding an API identifying therapist um, when I was seeking for one um, a few years ago. And I realized that there aren't that many of us, um, unfortunately. And of course, you know, I decided, okay, well, if there's not that many, then I'm going to try to be a part of that and, you know, maybe move the needle a little bit. Um, But I think something that I really believe needs to happen is for more um, Asian Americans to really step up and I guess, come into the field um, or at least try to find out what it is and be a little curious about it. Cause um, I, 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 the reason why I'm outspoken about this is because I do hope that more people decide to come into this field. Um, and in that way, we build more community and are able to heal um, collectively um, as a community. Yeah, absolutely. It's extremely validating to be able to sit across from someone either on the couch or virtually, right? That that gets it right. They don't have to look exactly like you or have the same exact journey, but at least have that understanding that when I say my parents wanted to be perf- me to be perfect and be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, they understand where that pressure is coming from. I think it's the it's the cultural pieces and the nuances that mm-hmm. sometimes you just can't quite explain. Like it just has to be someone that understands the the nuance and. Mm-hmm. realizing that your healing journey is definitely going to be impacted by the relationship to our family and our culture and our traditions and how we move about, right. The way that we've been conditioned in our, in our stories. Um, and the only way to do that sometimes is just to have more folks from our community be a part of this space, whether you are the therapist or the activist or, you know, the, you know, the nonprofit, whatever it is, right. Yeah. Um, to be, make sure that we, Yes, researchers. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I, I'm <laughs> I'm not a researcher and I've never been in this space. But between uh, Dr. Band and Dr. Alfie, I'm like 
I've got all the researchers I need because they, <laughs> they find the, the most nuanced research. But I'm like, didn't even know this existed. This is why people need to focus on their research in our communities. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right that more folks from our community should certainly be in this space. Um, what advice do you have for folks like myself or others who are avid advocates of mental health and well-being, but aren't necessarily practitioners, right? Like how can we do our part to help support more folks going to therapy or at least getting the help they need to be able to heal, make sure that we're actually healing as a community? Yeah. You know, I always say that my work really is a reflection of my commitment to individual and collective healing. Um, I think the collective part very much comes from Dr. Band. Um, she is <laughs> such a huge advocate in that. And I've really adapted it into my own um, therapeutic philosophies as well. And, you know, so I think there there really are so many ways that practitioners and non-practitioners can really help advocate mental health and wellness. Um, so what really comes top of mind for me is, first of all, prioritize your own healing and growth. Um, because, you know, I, I remember reading something recently that resonated so much that said, um, healed people heal others. Um, <gasps> safe, oh, safe people, I love that others, free spirits, free others and enlightened people illuminate others. And it was just, you know, I, I still feel goosebumps when I hear this quote and I think it's so beautiful for people to not only go through their own journey, but in, in going through their own healing journey, be able to lead and, you know, support others to go through their journeys as well. Hmm. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Can you, can you read it one more time? Just one more time. Yes. Um, so healed people heal others, safe people shelter others, free spirits, free others and enlightened people illuminate others. Oh my gosh. That's so good. And I'm just, I'm, I'm just like really holding on to it because I am a test. I feel like I'm a testament of that. Right. I, I cannot be in front of this microphone had I not done my own work or like really like looked at myself in the mirror and figured out why I'm acting a certain way. Why, like, what are the things that are, you know, on my spirit and, and having to heal that in order to have these conversations, right? Like I'm not a practitioner, but I certainly had to learn how to have these conversations because I too get triggered, right? I got feelings. I've ex I got experience and all this other stuff. Um, and when I, when I wasn't working on myself, it certainly came out in interactions, right? Like there was no way I could support someone else in these conversations or through their own mental health journey without being able to kind of save myself first, essentially. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, that's exactly why earlier I mentioned in the graduate program, a huge portion of it is about self-reflection and really understanding who we are, what we are, what triggers us and mm. what motivates us, because a lot of that can really show up in the therapeutic space if it's unchecked or, um, or not acknowledged even. So, yeah, I, I'm so glad that that resonates for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it impacts the way that we interact as a community, right? Like absolutely. there's, there's no way that I can pour into my community and want to do the things that I do without truly understanding, okay, this is what impacts me as part, you know, like these traditions or the, my history or whatever. Um, 
and and how it comes up. So I'm so glad you said that because it it really, really is important. And I keep harping on it, but absolutely 1000%. Um, completely agree with that, but Kimmy, thank you so much for showing up today. I, I really do appreciate you and the work that you do and just for being a partner in all of the things, even in this short time frame. So thank you. Thank you. Um, where can folks find you, connect with you if they do want to follow your work um, or with the Asian Mental Health Collective, our friends over there? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So I think the best way to reach Asian Mental Health Collective is directly through um, Instagram um, or on their website. Um, I think there's various emails that you would be able to find throughout the website to reach out. And um, I also have my personal um website. It's just kimiwu.com. Um, and I have a personal Instagram, which is open to the public. Um, it's under at two woo for you, <laughs> which I absolutely love by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I was like, hmm, I don't know if I should change this now that, you know, I'm, you know, opening up to other people, um, as a therapist, but you know, I'm taking submissions if people have better ideas for an Instagram <laughs> handle. <laughs> we got you. I'm sure folks will will recommend some stuff. But yeah. thank you so much, Kimmy. We'll have all the links and all of the good stuff in the in the show notes and stuff like that for folks to reach out. Um, Asian Mental Health Collective also has uh, resources for folks who want to, um, you know, get therapy or other community resources that they need uh, potentially. So that is always there and available for you. Um, yeah. That is all we've got for y'all today. Thank you so much for listening. Please have the conversations with each other. Be kind to each other. Try to heal as much as you can. And we'll see you on the next one. Thanks.